Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Bloody legend. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Me. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 55s. But before we do that, it is time to see whether or not Minty can claw back another point in the quiz. I hope so. The score is 22-20 in favour of Christopher Dow. So, let's see. In what year was the Atari 2600 released? 1984. Oh, 82. The correct answer is 1977. Whoa! So I believe the point oh, is going to have to go to Chris for getting yeah. it closest. Although it's still oh. a huge margin of error there in your favour. <laughs> I, I thought 70s at first, and I thought, no, it wasn't that old. But I guess I guess it is. Late 70s, Jesus. You don't think of video games being from the 1970s, do you? So there we have it. It's 2320 to Chris. Yes, it is. Three-point lead again, isn't he? You've, I mean, to be fair, you've got 54 goes to... <laughs> so you could. this could actually be the turning point in what's going to be a... 74-23 <laughs> victory. Could be, could be. So what have we been playing this week? Chris, what have you been playing? I've played uh, a few games, but a, a couple I was going to mention. I played an eShop game called Suicide Guy that is, I guess, probably named in pretty poor taste, but it's, it's actually a pretty decent first-person puzzle game. And it's developed, bizarrely, by uh, the same one-man team behind Minty's favourite game, Woodle Tree Adventures. <laughs> oh, really? That I, I, I did not realise until on the title screen, there's a little character from Woodle Tree in the corner. And when I looked it up, it is, it is the same bloke. Was it fucking awful as well? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's, it's surprisingly decent. Oh. The basic premise is that your character has fallen asleep and you've got to wake yourself up in a series of like mini surreal dreams, kind of Inception style. Uh, and in each one, you do that by killing yourself in some creative way. Oh. So it could be that you get crushed or zapped or, or eaten, depending on what the scenario is. But each stage kind of has you either manipulating objects, kind of like point and click style, or doing some basic platforming, or in some cases, some really simple combat before reaching the sort of payoff at the end. And it is still pretty ropey. Like you, you can definitely tell there is lineage from Woodle Tree. Mm. But I, I quite liked the central conceit and I played through it all. Like it was enjoyable enough to get through the four or five hours it took. And for a few quid on most digital storefronts, like I think it's on the PlayStation, it's on, on the eShop, like I said, it's on Steam. I think it's worth a play. And mm. I've also been playing, to no one's surprise, uh, Tetris 99. Of course you have. And I, I, mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned that only at the moment because I've just hit the 100 hour mark on my, my Switch profile now. Blimey. Which considering, you know, a game lasts between maybe three and five minutes I feel it's quite an achievement <laughs> but it's, it's become the thing now that I play pretty much every morning as part of my just getting up routine nice that I, I get up I get dressed and while I'm eating my breakfast I, I do a round or two of Tetris and it's firstly to earn tokens because there's kind of daily challenges now which go towards unlockables and things that might you know they might have more of them in a the future patch because I've got them all at the moment but secondly it's just a nice way to sort of centre myself for the day ahead yeah and and like I mentioned it in the, in the mental health episode that Tetris is a way of I've always used to just order my thoughts a bit and I, I find it's it's just it's a nice way to start the day and because it's pitched just those little small chunks 
it's never going to run on too long. So it's a way of just saying, well, here's something to do quickly while you're kind of getting your brain together. And then, then off you go and do your day. And I just, I really love it. It's, it's easily my favorite game of the year, I think, Tetris 99. Wow. Fair play. Fair play. Minty, yeah. what have you been playing? This week, I completed Pokemon Shield. Well, I finished the story in the post game, at least. I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or not, but I think the Dynamax Pokemon are fantastic and they are so good because they give a sense of there being boss fights in Pokemon now, yeah. which is just... I didn't know we needed it. No. But it was great. It's not just, oh, you've got to beat the strongest trainer now. No, you have to beat the Pokemon who is now so big. It's great. I love it. I am now completing my Pokedex so that I can get the shiny charm. Oh, yeah. And then you're going to go shiny hunting for to get a shiny Drapion. A shiny Drapion, a shiny Barbaracle. Oh, of course. Just shiny whatevers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon has also totally dominated my last chunk of playing time. And I finished the main game. I finished the post game. I'm well on my way to completing my Pokedex. I just need the last few shield exclusives which i believe i'm gonna nab off you minty at some point yeah let's do it when we finish this episode why not i have been absolutely blown away by this game continually i totally agree with what minty said about dynamax pokemon the big boys it gives the most amazing sense of scale to pokemon battles and especially when you're doing the gym leaders and the end game pokemon league competitions it feels like a real event and it's ah oh, i really did not expect to be so enamored with them but my goodness so much fun yeah so yeah. much fun what gigantamax pokemon do you have i have pikachu meowth butterfree charizard i have center scorch i have corviknight i have sandaconda i have grimmsnarl i have copper raja that's a lot can you get uh, big boy versions of all of them or is it limited to some of them? Every Pokemon can be big, but some are big and different. Yeah. Oh, so I'm so confused. So Dynamax is big boys. Gigantamax is bigger boys. No, it's just uh, some specific versions of specific Pokemon take on a different <laughs> form when Dynamaxing. So you catch a Meowth in the wild and you Dynamax it and it's just big. But you can get a special Gigantamax Meowth, which when you Dynamax it, it becomes very long. Yeah, very long. <laughs> I want to have a whole team of, of long Pokemon. The entire sort of end sequence of the game, of the story, is, in my opinion, without a doubt, the best that there's been in the Pokemon series. I mean, the story, the culmination of the story, the way that the final fights go down, the way that sort of intersects with the Pokemon League, it's just, it was incredible. It was utterly thrilling. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I reckon I'll still spend several more hours in the wild area looking for Gigantamax Pokemon, especially as they're kind of being released slowly over the course of time. Gigantamax Snorlax has just become available. He has a tree on his belly. He does. That he does. Because he is so large. It's that, that big. big. Yeah. He has become terrain. <laughs> I'd like to present a few awards for Pokemon Sword and Shield. My favourite new Pokemon is... Dragapult, absolutely Ooh. fantastic. It's a ghost dragon type. It's got a very cool tail, as, as in its physical tail. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. just have a good backstory. Great it's great. Yeah. It's a dragon's tail that's um, semi-translucent because it's a ghost. And then it fires its unevolved form 
in two little rockets from its head. Yes. Brilliant. Absolutely great. My favourite Gigantamax form Pokemon is Grimmsnarl. It is just so cool. It looks like it would absolutely beat the shit out of a Mewtwo. <laughs> My favourite Galarian form Pokemon. I have decided to give that award to Corsola, mainly because its Galarian evolution, Cursola, is genuinely chilling yeah. and quite poignant actually mm. quite poignant mm. yes. my favourite new name for a Pokemon is Roly Coley I think is absolutely <laughs> brilliant yeah that's pretty cool my MVP award goes to Boltoned I got a Yamper in a very early surprise trade early doors so he grew extra fast and he was level 100 as I went into the final end game stuff and he had electric move he had a ground move a psychic move and a dark move and he was my Swiss army Pokemon excellent <laughs> dog good boy or, or she have you played any more of Pokemon, Chris? I've played a little bit. I've spent a lot of time just wandering about the first wild area, mm. just kind of getting a feel for, for that obviously being the, the biggest change, I guess, in terms of how the game is structured. And I, I do like it, but there's still something about Pokemon that hasn't quite gripped me, like I know it does for, for you two. So I'm, I'm not writing it off, but it, it might take me a bit of time to, to kind of have it sink its teeth into me enough to, to make me want to really go for it. Well, I, I hope that it does. Yeah, I, I would really like it to. Because you, you always talk so passionately about it and, and the fact that you have like like a proper connection to these individual Pokemon to the point where you're giving them awards. Oh yeah. Is is really nice. And and I it's been a while since I found like a, a game or a franchise that I really get behind. And I, I would like to recapture some of that because it was such a big part of our childhood. Yeah. Uh, that I've always felt like I've kind of missed out a bit for not having that run through as I've, as I've grown but we'll see like it's, it's on the shelf it is there I do have it I, and hopefully I can give it a bit more time uh, maybe over Christmas shall we move on to the rankings yes mm. we should starting this week we have my game yeah so if we were going to make a list of games that would definitely appear on more than one of our lists are several obvious ones you know you've got your Zeldas your Marios your Chiroks. <laughs> but I don't think any betting person would have put money on this game appearing on more than one list. Yet, here we are. Chris? Yes? It was your 72nd favourite video game, and it's my 55th favourite video game. Ooh. It is the Game Boy Colours Mario Golf. It's so good. Ooh. It is. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a, a heck of a smile on my face when it appeared on your list. I was like... I'm so glad that it's getting the love that I, I certainly feel it deserves. And as you so uh, precisely put it, Chris, any game is made better for the inclusion of Mario. Yeah. And this particularly applies to sports games and especially golfing games. We've actually had a surprising amount of golf games feature on the podcast already. That's true, yeah. <laughs> this probably will be the highest up golf game to feature on any of our lists. I mean, I, I don't know. Speaking for myself, definitely it is. Chris has already done a great job of giving an overview of the game. But in case you don't want to trawl back through 25 previous episodes to listen to that summary, here it is again. A really solid golf game sim with some RPG light elements in it featuring a whole smattering of characters from your favourite local Mushroom Kingdom. Nintendo injected a huge amount of personality to what has always been quite a dry subgenre, and this is especially evident on the smaller handheld games, where they can't fall back on big colourful sprites with quirkily animated gurning massive faces. <laughs> It was a paraphrase, I'll be honest. Uh, but as Chris said way back when, the core mechanics of video game golf were pretty much nailed, like straight out of the gate with the first golf game on the NES. Aim where you want your ball to go, allow compensation for the wind, press your designated 
action button to whiz up the power bar, stop it where you want, press it again when it returns to your starting field to determine how accurate your shot is. If you stop it off center, you'll either slice it or hook it according to your inaccuracy. And this formula, totally unchanged here, and it still works just as perfectly as it ever did. However, this formula, and indeed the game itself, was augmented via brilliantly implemented RPG elements. And this came courtesy of the developers Camelot, who were previously responsible for just absolutely stonkingly good JRPGs, such as the Shining (laughs) series, Golden Sun. So they know very much how to hit their R spots, their P spots, and most certainly their G spots quite thoroughly. (laughs) 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 The RPG light features included leveling up your players, your character, and your clubs and you could customise which stats you boosted depending on how you wanted to play. But also boosting certain stats would apply equivalent measures in other areas. I remember on my first play through the game that I didn't really keep an eye on how my stat boosts were really kind of affecting the rest of my stats or how I was playing because I was just ploughing every single bit of XP into my shot power Mm. so I could drive for like 600 yards 700 (laughs) yards and I then uh, engendered the most enormous curve to my shot to the point where I would literally have to smack the ball as hard as I could straight out to sea uh, for it then to like banana its way around the entire course Uh, but then if I pulled it off I'd probably get a hole-in-one on a par five. So, you make your choices. I made mine. (laughs) To be honest, even the navigation uh, around, like, the world came with some, like, really nice little RPG touches, like lots of NPCs to interact with, uh, some nice, really witty dialogue. There's loads of little secrets to find, like, hidden in corners and bushes, probably, most likely. And it was just chock-a-block full of content and charm. We mentioned this when you first spoke about it, Chris, but I mean, it really is a shame that, I mean, Nintendo haven't really been able to match the quality of this game in any of the later installments. Yeah. I mean, the same goes for Mario Tennis on the Game Boy Color as well, which, to be honest, like it narrowly missed a place on my top 100. It was sort of, in the last sort of 10, I was sort of editing out. And I mean, all future installments of the Golf and Tennis series have pretty much entirely stripped out any RPG elements to it and they just don't have the same sort of personality that made this so good and the tone that this game achieved is something I've only really seen captured similarly in Golf Story which Minty talked about many weeks ago and we all know that the key to making a good game isn't down to the technical capability of the console or the system or the graphics or the resolution. And this is something that, like, I mean, Nintendo nailed time and time again on their early handheld consoles. I've always enjoyed a golf game. I mean, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed playing golf in, what's it called? Um, real life, that's it. <laughs> but I've always enjoyed a, a golfing video game. I had, like, you know, the, the Tiger Woods games on the GameCube. And uh, oh, what was the one I had on the Saturn? PGA Tour Golf? There were a few. that The, the Saturn had a surprise amount of golf games, but I, mm. I think PGA was definitely on there. I'm not going to look it up because I swear in my memory it had photorealistic graphics. <laughs> uh, but my enduring memory of that one on the Saturn was the fact that if you hit it off the fairway into the rough, the uh, commentator would just go, oh, it's in the woods, <laughs> uh, which, which I enjoy. <laughs> I, I remember a, gay, a golf game from the PC. It was a demo because... I never bought PC games. I just got the free sort of demo discs that had like 50 
demos from PC Zone on it, and there was a golf demo, and I was so bad at it that the only thing that I ever heard the commentator say was, oh, it's in the rough. Yeah, yeah. But even though I was playing like increasingly sophisticated golf games on consoles generation after generation, all the way up to, you know, like the PS4, Mario Golf on the Game Boy Color is still my all-time favorite golfing game. It's just fantastic. And Nintendo revisited the Mario Tennis series on the Switch with Mario Tennis Aces. And I mean, it was... I didn't like it, personally. I think the the mechanics were over-complicated. Yeah. They added in loads of weird special moves and stuff which it just didn't need and it was a real shame because I was really excited about the fact that they were putting more focus into uh, single player modes and a bit of like an adventure mode and that sort of thing but I really really do hope that they revisit the series and that brings a return to form because I mean to be honest I would pitch and putt the fuck out of it (laughs) (laughs) so there it is my 55th favourite video game is Mario Golf on the Game Boy Colour lovely lovely moving on we have chris's game chris can you Ooh. please tell us i wonder if it'll be my 72nd favorite video game that will be your 55th uh it isn't but <laughs> it's always worth thinking these things are possible i was just about to say how do you know you haven't seen my list uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> oh, Jonathan. oh okay right at me and jonathan the secondary school i remember going right right back to when we were about maybe 13 or 14, I'm not entirely sure the age or the year, but we were set an English assignment where we had to research any topic that interested us and then give a presentation about it to the class. Now, back then, I talked about Click and Play, yes. a piece of game creation software that, that we uh, we did touch on when you were talking about Worms Armageddon years ago. Well, it feels like years ago now. And I remember at the time, like I waffled about my website I had at the time where I hosted all of my creatively named games like Dunce Goes to Hollywood. And at the time, at least, our teacher, Mr. Haywood, at least pretended to be interested. He did, didn't he? He certainly he certainly appeared to be interested. But yeah, I don't know if he actually went home and downloaded and played Kill 'em Derby like he claimed he would but you know it's there for what it's worth but anyway on, on this day people would talk about like sports people would talk about you know all sorts of weird stuff whatever interested like young boys progressive rock music yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, so other other games that came up because obviously most kids at that age at least have some interest in video games someone talked about the playstation one game uh, thrill kill that was a banned game that they had like a, a copied disc of and someone else mentioned what would become my 55th favorite video game uh, metal gear solid ah now back then alistair weller if you're listening hello he definitely isn't but <laughs> he may oh, one day Ali. he produced a presentation that included not only like a, a kind of written script for himself so he knew exactly what he was going to say but he produced like a timed and indented vhs of gameplay footage that he'd sort of recorded from the first couple hours of playing the game and then he delivered his script alongside the video with like robotic precision <laughs> like it, it was definitely it was definitely the most professional of the presentations that day uh, all right none, none taken <laughs> you don't remember my full color printout of the history of progressive rock music i, I actually don't but uh, if you've still got it as a pdf please send it over i will mate but like i remember he, he would talk about it and he would, he would go through these little stages and in one particular one it, there was kind of a close-up of the the lead character snake producing clouds of breath in the snow because it's it's set uh, somewhere cold and an alley quipped with like the rhythm of a radio 4 presenter <laughs> well it is alaska you know amazing <laughs> and that one quote has stayed with me for like 25 years now brilliant so yeah ho- hopefully he will, he will hear this but anyway like i didn't own a playstation one at the time 
that was still when I had my Sega Saturn and that was my console of choice. And it wasn't until the release of Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PlayStation 2 that I went back and played through the, the early release. So this was like a, a good few years later. And even though graphics had moved on, I think Metal Gear Solid remains a really arresting, layered, grand sort of filmic experience that really would go on to set the standard template for AAA action games from about that point onwards. Yeah. It's, it's a really like important release, I think, for better or worse as to what, games have done and are still doing at this point now and i mean up up until the release of metal gear solid at that time games would sometimes riff on films and, and genres of film but they were seldom framed in such a way where this kind of love of cinema was as front and center as it was in in mgs and i mean there are cutscenes in the game that run on for longer than the gameplay sections that follow there's this kind of 15 minute asides where two characters will converse with full voice acting alongside just like static portraits over the kind of codec comms unit. Oh, yeah. And from that, there's, there's kind of like big dumps of in-game lore and real world history and, and comic asides. Like it, it's very clear that it is a game that is directed as opposed to a game that is just produced, if, if that makes sense. Uh, it does make sense. It's got kind of outrageous characters in the vein of 80s action films that have silly code names and sort of accompanying mannerisms and tells like Sniper Wolf or Revolver Ocelot. They've all got like real character to them. There are like filmic extreme camera angles when you crouch in cover or enter a new scene. Each area is built using like limited color palettes, which almost mimics like film grading that was obviously super popular for films around that time, like The Matrix a couple of years later and stuff like that, like that would have a very heavy set color palette. There's a full orchestral soundtrack. I mean, I, I could go on with all this stuff, but it, it's clear that the game's director, Hideo Kojima, and I mean, even within that, how often since then have, are we that aware of a game's director? Yeah. He kind of saw the potential of the PlayStation as a CD-ROM console and just went to town making a game that really blurred the lines between the active experience of a video game and the more sedentary experience of a film. And, and that became, like I said, like the, the sort of textbook template for, for years on where people would start making these games where it was like, well, it's like an action film, isn't it? And they were trying to replicate a lot of what made these films good, whether or not that worked in the context of a game. The plot itself is a big tangle of terrorism and counterterrorism and military intervention and espionage and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I haven't sat down and played this game since 2001, which is when I, I played it back then. And even now, in attempting to sort of re-familiarise myself with its story, I was presented with a synopsis that was over 7,000 words. Amazing. <laughs> like the first result on Google was was that long. And I'll be totally honest, I, I didn't bother reading that. I just thought like the memory I've got in my head is, is good enough. But I think it's largely in service to, to Metal Gear and many of sort of Kojima's other games that I don't think it even mattered that I've got like a hazy memory of the story because it's so much more about the experience of playing the game. And that's what I mean about it moving away from just being like mimicking film, but using some of the sort of uh, coding conventions of film to make something in a different genre. Well, a different medium, sorry. I mean, it's, it's a stealth game. So you're sneaking around, you're, you're luring and distracting enemies, you're, you're hiding in shadows. Then when you alert a guard, it's sort of more a game of chase, almost like Pac-Man, because so much of the game is viewed from like a top-down perspective almost, that there's, there's definitely like a connection to that kind of uh, arcade classic. And then when you do get caught, it sort of transitions just to an all-out action game where you're chucking enemies over your head in close quarters combat or using limited ammunition to sort of take out threats and then hiding under a lorry or a cardboard box or whatever to try and stave off the, the, the scare of, of the enemy guards but beyond any of the, the main mechanics it's it's a game just about moments that you remember 
And it's things like realizing that at the start of the game, your, your character has cigarettes in their inventory that just sits there for, for hours, it seems, until you realize you can use them to expose a laser grid later in the game. Yeah, it's always very clever. Or you can use them as a, a makeshift way of, of, of steadying your aim when you're using the sniper rifle because it's meant to you know lower your heart rate and chill you out kind of thing. It's little things like there's, there's a character that mentions you need to get a codec frequency from the back of the box. And you assume they're talking about something in game, but it literally means the back of the PlayStation 1 box that you know took me hours probably to actually realize at that stage because i wasn't sat on on the internet checking game faqs like i would do these days it's, it's things like there's a boss that you beat by changing your controller to the second port on the console to stop him being able to read your mind and predict your movement it's, it's all these really small things that just stand out as being particularly different to how games were being sold and played at the time right up to the point that it's got an opening credits and splash screen that plays out like the movies it's it's kind of paying homage to it's, it's just a very clever piece of media i think and i really like it for it being a, a considered singular vision and, and it's something that Hideo Kojima would do again and again in, in, in his other games as, as he worked his way up through Konami and, and now as an independent developer now and although i haven't played many of the games after the second mgs I've always held the original in, in really high regard because, like I mentioned, for better or worse, it's it went on to provide the framework for so much of what would follow. Yeah. And I, I think it's a game that everyone should play for, for that reason. Like, it, it holds up very, very well, despite the fact that we're talking about 32-bit console graphics. It, it represents a coming together of two mediums in a way that I don't think we'd seen previously and was seldom bettered, really, in the ensuing years. Because, like I said, people would lean too far into making a game just feel like a film and would forget the sort of unique ability that games are about playing and, and interactivity at the same time. Red Dead Redemption 2. Exactly. It's a, a good example. <laughs> and, I think, and I think Metal Gear Solid excels because for all of that filmic influence, it knew exactly when was the time to say, okay, you as the player, you're going to sit down and listen to this dialogue, you're going to watch this cutscene, you're going to absorb it as if you're watching a film. But then it knew exactly when to say to the player, just go and fuck around. Like this is almost like a sandbox that you're just messing about in this area. And, and I think to play it now, even in... 2019 as we as we approach 2020 the end of this decade it's still a really brilliant surprising subversive experience even if i have literally no idea what the storyline was <laughs> so uh yeah metal gear solid it's a great game and i'm sure i would enjoy later entries in the series as well i just never found the time to to pick them up as i, as I was growing older at the time my enduring memory of that metal gear solid game I, I never had a playstation either for i rightly chose the saturn as my platform of choice too <laughs> well done us i mean i mean genuinely though actually i'm very glad i did I, I saw my friend playing it and he was showing me the bit with um uh, psycho mantis yeah and how he's like reading your mind and he's just like reading the data on like your memory card say oh yeah oh yeah you seem like the sort of secret agent that enjoys playing crash bandicoot or whatever and then you're like what no way how could he know this and then he gets you to like put your controller on the floor and he makes it move with the rumble and stuff and that was um incredibly gimmicky looking back but very fun yeah i did get metal gear solid the twin snakes the, the remake of the first metal gear solid game on the gamecube yeah because that was made by um silicon, silicon knights silicon knights yeah they did that after they did um eternal darkness and after playing Eternal Darkness and kind of having a really good, fully-fledged sort of 3D action-adventure game, I found Twin Snakes just too stilted in terms of how it mm. was, how you played it, that I just, yeah, didn't didn't get on, on with it. But um, as with a lot of Hideo Kojima games, I was saying this to my friend the other day about Death Stranding, just the increasing cinematic content of those games is absurd. Like, there's something <laughs> like 70 hours of, like, video in, like, Metal Gear Solid 5, and it's like... <sighs> 
I'm not going to play that. I mean, if I'm ever going to sort of actually experience that, I'll just watch it on, I'll watch a playthrough on yeah. YouTube. So goodness knows if I'll ever get around to playing one of them uh, myself. But um, yeah, thank you for that. That's all right. Minty, on to you. What is your 55th favourite video game? Do you remember life before stuff like uh, Metacritic and everybody just having opinions on things? Mounds of reviews cluttering up your news feed, leaks ruining everything for you, and ads after ads telling you to buy the new Pokemon game, show your receipt at your local McDonald's for a free box of chicken nuggets shaped like Pikachu with a side of ash ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> While it's good to have like a raft of information to help inform your purchases, I do feel like there is a little bit too much of it sometimes, and it can keep you from really being excited for a new game maybe depending on like just just how much you decide to zone out and read after every related link after every article that you um, decide to absentmindedly click on for a whole afternoon i bought this game thinking it was a jrpg i was expecting a huge story with high emotional stakes rich character development and heaps heaps of lore. Oh, we love the lore. <laughs> the upgradable weapons, skills and fighters, and a menu system that you that, that you needed an IQ that lets you truly appreciate Rick and Morty to get your head around. <laughs> I got at all of that, but I didn't realise it was a grid-based strategy game. It's Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. Ah, Ooh. another Fire Emblem game. Yeah, my first Fire Emblem game and the first Fire Emblem GameCube game. In this one, you're not a royal child as you are in so many Fire Emblem games. This time around, you're a legendary mercenary's son who is charged with protecting the rightful heir to a besieged kingdom following the death of your father with the company of fighters that you inherited. The story was good. You forged alliances with neighbouring territories and made new friends with their many, many denizens as you sought to end the war by defeating the mad King Ashnard. But the best thing about this game is, without a doubt, the characters. The player character, Ike, the radiant hero, very relatable, very likeable, and crucially, not a silent protagonist this time. Oh, you like a bit of speech, don't you? We love it. The people he fights alongside, and indeed your opponents, have their own personalities, from the, uh, the dandy gambler with his exasperated sister who keeps having to pay off his gambling debts. The, the village hero who was imprisoned following an act of foolhardy recklessness against the Empire. There's also the assassin that your father hired to kill him if he ever fell to the dark power of the Fire Emblem again. A power that sent him into a berserk state and killed his wife when she tried to save him from that power. Bloody hell. Yeah. You hate to see it. You really do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, there was the uh, the opposing general who will always stick in my mind as being so bloodthirsty and so cruel in every encounter, right up until you dealt the death blow to her. Then you realise that she was just so, so childlike in her fear of death that you really do end up pitying her and realising this is why she was so gung-ho on slaughtering everybody else. There are so many, so many good characters. I could... <laughs> If, 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 if we had a list, and indeed the time, and the inclination to edit, <laughs> I could talk about every single one. And yeah, like I said, we don't have time. It was, it was one of the first games that really opened my eyes to the fact that writing in games is incredibly important as well as um, good movement, good mechanics, something fresh or unique or fun. 
played it in the winter because I bought it for my birthday that year. And I have a very just whenever I think about it, I'm like, yes, this this was a very wintry game. It was because you were sort of running away from the Empire for most of the game. Most of your battles were they would take place under the cover of darkness or through snow covered mountains. And it was it was really lovely. It was just it really mirrored the, the coldness and the bleak midwinter when I played it. Really loved it. Really, really good game. Radiant. Hmm. Or certainly the path two. <laughs> yes. 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 I haven't even talked about the Black Knight, who was one of the one of, one of my favourite video game antagonists. Ooh. He was trained by your father when your father was one of By my dad. Yes, he was trained by Ian Dunn. He is a man of hidden talents. Yeah, yeah. Athlete Kings. Athlete Kings, yeah. <laughs> was the Black Knight very good at javelin? <laughs> no, but he did have a sword with a two space range. So he could have been. Could have been. Maybe Dad kept that skill for himself. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want to share power. No, I'm joking, of course. The Black Knight was trained by Ike's father, Grail of the Grail Mercenaries, who, when he trained him, was known as Sir Gawain of the Five Generals of Dayan, which is the the opposing empire and aggressor in this game, mm. a life which he, he left behind um, after he killed his wife. But anyway, he trained up the Black Knight, and it was the Black Knight who killed him after searching him out, trying to find uh, a worthy opponent to give him the fight that would really make his heart beat imposing terrifying character there was one map where you had to escape onto a boat and if you took too long he just appeared out of a house and started to mow your characters down what's he doing in the house just kicking back playing some cards he was probably sat on a chair yeah loved it really good game i really hope we either get a gamecube mini or nintendo gamecube online so i can play it again so there we have it another three games first of all we had mario golf and then Metal Gear Solid Tactical Espionage Action and finally Fire Emblem Path of Radiance marvellous if you've enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do like and subscribe share it on social media tell your friends tell your local MP yeah tell any uh, political canvassers that might be doing the rounds at the moment in your neck of the woods I'll vote for you if you listen to my podcast and then don't vote for them if they don't align with your political beliefs. Or they're Tory. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents. And you can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or comment on these games that we have mentioned. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week for our 54s. 54, 54.